we come now to our uh, sermon from Exodus chapter 5, continuing on in our sermon series in the book of Exodus. This morning we'll be reading the whole of chapter 5. And this is a big moment here. It's the moment uh, we've been anticipating in a sense since Exodus started. This is Moses in the court of Pharaoh telling him to let my people go. It's the big scene in all the movies. So, um, <laughs> Exodus 5 is printed for you in your bulletin. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. We'll read it together. This is God's Word, good, beautiful, and true. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. And that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what the Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble for use to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told make bricks. Your servants are being beaten and fought as with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw yet. You must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized that they were in trouble when they were told you were not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us. When Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought this trouble on your people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, because of my mighty hand he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that even in this historical account from thousands upon thousands of years ago, that we see you at work. We see the beginning steps that ended in the redemption that Jesus brought. 
the steps of your redemption coming to play in this world of toil and labor and slave drivers. So I pray, God, in these moments as we reflect on this, that you would use this and you would speak to us, God, of the glories of Jesus and his kingdom. And teach us what it means to be people who live as members of your kingdom and not people of the kingdom of the pharaohs of this world. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I saw a fascinating documentary uh, last week on Jim Carrey. It's on Netflix. It's called Jim and Andy. It's about when he played the part of Andy Kaufman, Man in the Moon. Um, fascinating documentary about Jim Carrey, who is a fascinating man, um, beyond just being a good comedian and actor. But he was talking about the stage in his career after he had made it big. Say, so Ventura, The Mask, and he was kind of at the point where he could pick and choose whatever he wanted to. He was one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood. And he said that he started taking roles that essentially lined up with what he was feeling at, at various times in his life. And so in the late 90s, he made a movie called The Truman Show, which was about a man who was constantly watched and didn't even realize it. Well, at the time, Jim Carrey was... Biggest movie star in the world. That's how he felt all the time. Um, and then he talked about a movie that he made called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Now, maybe you've never seen it, and that's fine. It's, a, it's kind of a weird, almost sci-fi movie. But the idea is this. this uh, technology has been developed where uh, they can, you can go into a specialist, and they erase memories from your mind. So if you've got painful memories you want to get rid of, you go in and tell them where it is, and they zap you, and they're gone. Sounds like a dream, right? <laughs> um, but Jim talked about him meeting with the director a year before they were beginning shooting the movie. He met with the director, and at the end of the dinner they were having, the director said, Oh, Jim, you're beautiful. You are so broken. Please do not heal. Please do not heal. But Jim talked about that. Um, that the director saw in Jim Carrey a pain that would connect with that script. But what the director was communicating to him is, Jim, your, your pain as you doesn't matter. It's a good thing, actually, for this part. Please don't heal. This role is more important than you are. For that director, Jim's worth was only the output he could give for this movie, not him as a person. Now, most of us in here haven't had that conversation before. We're not... I don't get paid $10 million a movie. Um, <laughs> we've never had that kind of conversation. We aren't movie stars where the director's trying to figure out what role we can fit in. But I think all of us in here know what it means to define ourselves because of a role in our lives. To have an outsized sense of, I have this thing that I am supposed to do, and forget me. Forget me as a person. This role is more important than me. Or to put it another way, we know what it's like to live in a world, including our own hearts, that measures us primarily by what we can say we've done, what we bring to the table. That will only recognize that we are valuable if we can prove it. And sadly, we know what it's like to do that to others. To judge other people and value them only by parameters that we've set up. Not to look at someone else and see them as worthy, but to look at someone else and see them as defined by their job or their experiences or their scars or their disabilities. The fact is that kind of thing isn't new with us. In fact, we see that dynamic 
here in this passage. Because it's an essential dynamic of what it means to live in this fallen world in big ways and small ways. So this morning, I'm going to call that mindset, that way of thinking, that is deep in our bones, the way of Pharaoh. Because I think, I, I think we see it most clearly embodied in his words here in Exodus 5. So let's look at this passage. Let's see this uh, way of Pharaoh, that mindset, and what it does in the face of God's freedom that he invites us into. And what it means for us today to be a people who can see that mindset, that way of Pharaoh at work, turn away from it, and find the rest that Jesus invites us to. I'm going to break it up into a couple of different sections. The first one is this. Is, is, I do not know Yahweh, or I don't know the Lord. I think the first thing we see in this passage is that this way of thinking, this way of Pharaoh, that only measures people by what they uh, can say they've earned, is first and foremost one that does not recognize God as who he is. In Egypt, Pharaoh's work was ultimate. He lived in a world where he had literally the power of life and death. He was authorized in his mind by the gods of Egypt, and he saw himself as divine himself and the power of life and death. And for this Pharaoh, in this passage in Exodus 5, there was a whole class of people, the Israelites, that he saw as just labor. They were numbers on a spreadsheet in modern terms. Slaves who hard work kept the economy and the culture of Egypt going. Now Moses and Aaron, they arrive almost like emissaries of a foreign king. You see them walk into the court of Pharaoh and they're speaking on the authority, not of their own authority, but they're speaking on the authority of God. And they tell him this. Look, notice what it says. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. What they're saying there, you see it actually a lot of times later in the Old Testament when, Pharaoh, when prophets are going to say what God has told them to say. They'll say, thus saith the Lord in King James language. Well, this is the very first time in the whole Bible we see the, this is what the Lord says. Thus says the Lord. So they walk in and they're claiming the authority of God. And what does he say? Let my people go. They're telling Pharaoh that God has a claim on these people that he has to recognize. That Pharaoh does not have the power of life and death. That they are God's people, not Pharaoh's. Notice too that they say why Pharaoh needs to let them go. So that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Now, festivals were times of worship and times of rest, even. So I want you to notice the contrast here. To serve Pharaoh, to follow his words, is what? To work and to toil and to have even your tools taken away and have to work harder, to be called lazy. But what does it mean to serve God? To be invited to a feast. That's the contrast here. The Pharaohs of this world, the Pharaohs of our own heart, they demand more. They only see uh, people as uh, valuable insofar as they can do something for them. But God invites us to rest. It's a feast. It's joy. It's celebration. It means closeness with God, not the distance of hero. This is the essence, the contrast in the book of Exodus. The question at the center of Exodus as we go through is who will Israel serve? Especially in these first chapters. Will they serve Pharaoh and his demands, his oppression, his quotas of bricks and injustice? Or will they serve the Lord who wishes to dwell with them, to make them clean, to make them holy? Now when they tell Pharaoh the Israelites are going to go to a festival, or as they say in the next few verses, they're going to go on a three-day journey. 
we don't need to see that as like they're trying to slip out the back door and then they're just not going to come back. They're not asking for a long weekend here. Um, what the, the idea of three-day journey is like a turn of phrase. It's going to take them three days to get there. They're saying we are leaving <laughs> on a three-day journey to get to this festival. Um, but the demand here of let my people go, this is Moses and Aaron on God's authority saying, you need to free these people. You do not have a claim on them. They're not coming back as slaves. They're not coming back to be used again. So look at how Pharaoh responds. Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. What does this tell us about the way the Pharaoh, way of Pharaoh? It's a way that measures people only by what they can do to you, a way that take, takes advantage of others. Well, that's a way of thinking and a way of life that does not recognize God as God. Does not recognize God as God. Now, that doesn't mean that that way of thinking isn't religious. Don't hear me this morning saying, well, the way of Pharaoh is the secular world and then the kingdom of God is just the religious world. In fact, that way of Pharaoh, more often than not in history and even here in Egypt, is one that was deeply religious. Pharaoh was incredibly religious. When he says, I don't know the Lord here, he's not saying I'm an atheist. Pharaoh had dozens of gods. <laughs> That he recognized. He believed in many gods. What he's saying here is, I do not acknowledge Yahweh. I do not acknowledge the Lord. He has nothing to say to me that I need to care about. He has no power here in Egypt. The vast majority of kingdoms in our world throughout history that have operated in the way of Pharaoh are very religious. Very religious. But it's, it's religions with gods that make claims of power that only confirm what pharaohs, the people who wield power, already want anyway. They're gods that only serve to prop up the way of pharaoh. But that is not Yahweh. That is not the true God. That is not the God who shows himself to us in Jesus Christ. As I spoke about last week, God is 100% uninterested in propping up a leader that will use people. 100%. Not interested in that at all. But I think we see this religious <laughs> thinking and undergirded way of Pharaoh in our world today. So often our talk of God is limiting, uh, it limits him to just blessing what we already want. Not the true God who frees us, who challenges us and propels us into different ways of life in this world. But thank God. That the true and living God, whom we know in Christ, is not content to leave us in the way of Pharaoh. Which brings me to my next section and, and Pharaoh's next statement here. And this is called, Get Back to Work. Moses and Aaron counter Pharaoh's words with a veiled threat. Notice how they say that when Pharaoh doesn't recognize Yahweh's authority. So they try to appeal maybe to his self-protection. And they tell him to let them go or, quote, God may strike us with plagues or with the sword. I think this is their soft way of saying, do not take this lightly. Do not take this lightly. The Lord will have his people freed. Do not take the words we are saying lightly. But notice what Pharaoh says in response. Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look at the people of the land. They're now numerous and you are stopping them 
from work. In modern terms, this is what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh, uh, Moses and Aaron, you are destabilizing our economy. He's worried because the Israelites are numerous. And their slave labor is essential to keeping Egypt going. And if they remove the Israelites from their slavery, it will turn the wealth of the empire on its head. In other words, their freedom would cost Egypt too much, at least in Pharaoh's mind. And so what does he say? Get back to work. All this world can say in the face of the freedom that God has for his people is get back to work. Prove yourself. Work harder. Put your head down and barrel through. Don't ask questions. Work. In our world, this is the only directive that the way of Pharaoh has to us. The only command. As Pharaoh says earlier, if the people have time to entertain ideas of freedom... If they have time to think about God setting them free, then he thinks they have too much free time on their hands. They need to fill every waking hour with something to do. And so in Egypt, injustice, get back to work. People being used, no, get back to work. Pain and death and wrong, no, get back to work. It will cost too much to stop. It will cost too much to do the right thing. Get back to work. Now, I read an illuminating and really challenging book a couple years ago called The Half Has Never Been Told. And it looked back from an economic perspective on um, American slavery, first 80 years of our nation's existence, and how that uh, era, full of an entire class of people who worked because they were compelled and forced to, how that had been a key component that had made the United States, the economic wonder of the world. I mean, think about it. In one generation, the South had gone from worn-out tobacco plantations to the continental, like, cotton empire, the envy of the world in one generation. And if you're looking at numbers on a page, it seems absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. But what was this economic growth built on? The way of Pharaoh. Get back to work. It was built on a way of life that used human beings made in the image of God like they were cattle. The way of Pharaoh could not be bothered to stop and ask questions that did not listen to God, that only told those crying out in the midst of their oppression, get back to work. It's fascinating, actually, if you go back and you read like the Founding Fathers, George Washington owned slaves, but he, in his writings, recognizes slavery is an evil. He doesn't think, think it's a good thing, and he thinks it's a problem that needs to be solved, but that a future generation is going to have to solve it. And when he and other founding fathers are talking about it, they see it as an issue, but one that would cost too much to address. Economically, it would cost too much because now they've got this new republic. They're trying to keep afloat. They've they got to keep the money rolling. It would cost too much set the slaves free. It would cost too much socially because now all of a sudden we have all these people that are free and now we're at the, are they going to have the right to vote? Those, those things. They recognized it as an evil but when it came to the actual fact of the matter they said it's going to cost us too much. It's going to cost too much to set these people free. And so in a sense they said just get back to work. Get back to work. Now, the way of Pharaoh isn't something just in the distant past. It's here today, and it looks a lot different. But think of it this way. 
and this isn't like a policy advocation thing necessarily, but in our world, in the United States, unpaid maternity leave. We look at the statistics. 75% of new moms in the U.S. take less than nine weeks off from work after they have a baby. That is literally get back to work. <laughs> oh, your body just pushed out a new human being is trying to heal up? Yeah, no, get back to work. Anyway, so, so Pharaoh says here, get back to work and then take these, and he takes these actions. Notice that the, the Israelites have been crying out for years for freedom. And Pharaoh has not budged. But as soon as he sees a possible threat here in Moses and Aaron, he immediately works. When the production of the Israelites seems to be threatened, he acts immediately. He tells what? The slave drivers to make the work of the Israelites even harder. Even harder. Now we know from earlier in Exodus that slavery of the Israelites had been incredibly productive. You may remember in chapter 1 it speaks about them enslaving the Israelites. And then the next thing it says is the Israelites had to build store cities to store all the wealth that was just flowing in. It had been incredibly productive. And here it seems that the primary job that they have is making bricks. But now Pharaoh directs the slave drivers to stop giving the Israelites the materials they need. Now they have to gather their own stuff, on all, their own straw on top of making the bricks. Why? Because of my third section. You are lazy. You are lazy. Because Pharaoh says here, they are lazy, make the work harder so that they keep working, and pay no attention to lies. The way of Pharaoh isn't just ruthless. It's efficient. It's efficient. It's set up to squeeze every bit of life out of the Israelites that it can. Now we know actually the structure of uh, 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 the exact structure of the Egyptian workforce because you can actually go back and find documents from this era the way they would set up their, their slavery work camps. Workers and slaves, they were organized into different sections and those were each headed by foremen. And the foreman was usually from among the same people. And so the Israelite slaves would be working for an Israelite foreman. And then on top of him were overseers that were Egyptians. And of course, if you think about it from one angle, this setup is genius. Because what it means is that the direct bosses, the people with the whips in their hands over the slaves, were other Israelites. Of course, this served to divide the Israelites. Keeps them fighting amongst themselves. As for, from Egypt's perspective, it's a divide and conquer. And notice how the new demand of Pharaoh here is reported to the people in verse 10. This is what Pharaoh says. Now, it's, all, it's almost missed in our English here, but this is a direct inverse of what Moses and Aaron had said. They said, this is what the Lord says, let my people go. Let my people go. Well, in verse 10, it's this is what Pharaoh says. This is what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh's word is seen as ultimate. And here we see that the situation eventually leads to the overseers being beaten by the slave drivers. And they complain to Pharaoh. Notice what Pharaoh says to them. Lazy. That's what you are, lazy. 
Notice in seeking freedom and seeking to live out of the freedom that Jesus, that God invited them into and in our world today. When we seek to live out of the freedom of not being defined by what we so-called bring to the table. Not being defined by our works, but by being defined by the love of God for us. What does the way of Pharaoh only have? Accusations. That's it. Accusations. The way of Pharaoh cannot stop and ask hard questions. It can only accuse. Now, how many of us here live in our world under the accusations either of others or our own, our own hearts? I think we carry around accusations. Maybe verdicts passed on us when we were kids by our parents or other children. Verdicts passed on us now by employers or whoever that we carry, that we wear, that informs us. Accusations. You know, there's a reason why Scripture calls Satan the accuser over and over again. The accuser. It actually pictures the devil as a prosecuting attorney in a sense. And I'm not anti-attorneys, but <laughs> it pictures him uh, as, an, a, 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 as an attorney making accusations, trying to force people to pass judgments. This is the way of Pharaoh. You are lazy. It's really just the way of wickedness, the way of Satan at work in this world. Accuse, pass verdicts, and keep people bound. Keep people bound in your accusations. The way of Pharaoh can't stop. It would cost too much. And stopping, stopping to ask questions, stopping to seek freedom, stopping to hear the invitation of God to step out of bondage, just means you're lazy. You're lazy. The way of Pharaoh in the face of truth can only turn back on those being squeezed and used by it and accuse them of laziness. Tired of proving yourself today in this world? You're lazy. Worn out by the day-in, day-out demands, some of them even unjust and wrong? You're lazy. I feel that. You know, we're all human beings with weaknesses. We need to sleep. We need to rest. We cannot work. And we live in a world that glorifies the nowadays it's called hustle culture. And everybody's got three jobs and they're trying to retire by 51 or whatever. And they've got plans and it's work, 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 work. And if you stop, if you pause, you're lazy. Get back to work. Well, friends, the invitation this morning, not from me, but the invitation from God is the invitation we heard at the beginning of our worship service in our call to worship from Matthew 11. Let's read it again, actually. It's the words of Jesus directly. And he says, What? Into this world and way of Pharaoh. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And Jesus does not say, And I will give you more work to do. He says, I'll give you rest. I will give you rest. That's our invitation this morning. In a world of accusations, in a world of directives to just get back to work, where we, in truth, are just burdened and wearied and not just physically tired, but wearied at toiling away in mindsets and ways of life that try to prove ourselves to ourselves and to others and try to prove ourselves to God. The invitation of Jesus is to come to Him and not find a whip above our head, but to find rest. To find rest.
We have an invitation to stop and see the, this way of Pharaoh and the way it's at work in our world even today. To see it for what it is. To ask hard questions about how it's at work in our lives. And even how it forms us and is still forming us and how we feel about ourselves and others. And to turn away from it. As Exodus goes on, God exposes the bankruptcy of this way of thinking. Of the way of Pharaoh and the life that he embodies. We'll see as it keeps going. God literally declares war on the false gods of Egypt. That's what the plagues are. And he exposes the, the, the false power at work in the way of Pharaoh. And he frees his people in dramatic fashion. And he brings them out of slavery and he forms them as a kingdom under him as king. And these people who are told to get back to work, that you are lazy, they become the first generation of the kingdom of God. And what do they find there? A place where the way of Pharaoh is to have no say. Where it will be exposed over and over again. And when it creeps up, and it does later in the history of Israel, it's called out. That's what the prophets are doing as it goes going to be exposed. And friends, we belong to that kingdom. And the invitation to us this morning is to know that, to realize it, to do a heart inventory, to see all the ways that the way of Pharaoh still holds the allegiance of our hearts, to see all the ways we've sinned by disregarding God and disregarding others were made in His image. We are invited to see and to realize the accusations that we live under and see them for what they are, lies. The gospel truth invites us to see the lies of the other ways of looking and to take God at His word. Here's what I mean. We're exhausted, right? We work hard to prove ourselves, to measure up to others, and it was never enough. There will always be somebody else to please. There will always be somebody else to satisfy and try and impress. There's always, and that means there's always somebody there to disappoint. But God invites us this morning to leave the labor of the way of Pharaoh in the dust. To lay down that burden and to let him tell us who we are. In a world that might say, oh, you need a break, you're lazy. It says, get back to work. God calls us righteous in his sight, dearly loved children. That's what justification means. Justification by faith. That we're received by God and declared righteous in his sight by grace. By the righteousness of Jesus credited to us and received by faith. The invitation for us is to rest in that. We, stopped, we spoke about that in our um, assurance of pardon from Romans 4. It speaks about the one who works for wages. But the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. And so we are invited to rest in that because God is who He says He is. And what He says goes... And if he says we're righteous, if he says we're justified, if he says we're welcome and we are being made whole in him, it's true. Then we are. If, we are, if he says we're his, we are. We do not belong to Pharaoh. We do not belong to the claims of Satan. We do not belong to the weight of our own sin. We don't. And no one else can say otherwise. Not you, not me, not your parents, not your kids or your boss or a political uh, uh, politician or a pastor. Not Satan, all the combined forces of evil in this world. 
Now, if we keep reading in the Bible, we see that Jesus actually judges the way of Pharaoh at his cross. And this is what I mean. Think about it. All the best ways of thinking and working in the way of Pharaoh put Jesus, the only sinless man that ever lived, to death. <laughs> the freedom of God arrives in flesh. Jesus, God, with, you know, 100% God, 100% man, 100% man, arrives in his creation. And what happens? Creation puts him to death. That's what the way of Pharaoh does. But they did not succeed. Because yes, he died, but in that death, he freed us from the power of death. In his resurrection, he exploded hope into this world. And trusting, ensuring for us that death is not the end. Showing us in his re resurrection what will become of us. That we too will be raised and vindicated by God. Glorified in body and soul. Showing us that the way of Pharaoh cannot have the upper hand. So our invitation in close this morning is to see this, to know this, to internalize this by faith. To bank everything we are on this. And to hear his voice rise above the noise in this world. Not to hear Jesus say to us, get back to work or you are lazy. But to hear this. Not just this morning, but every morning, but every day. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, find rest. Stop trying to prove yourself in the way in the world of Pharaoh that will never be pleased. Rest in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now as those who have heard in this passage this invitation to see the lies and the accusations of the, what I've called the way of Pharaoh that works so powerfully in this world, but also to see the invitation and to hear the invitation from Jesus who speaks on his authority to invite us in. Help us to rest in you. Help us to hear the gospel truth is louder than the lies. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.